Hey everyone, Gabrielle here. On behalf of myself and Ernie, we are thrilled to introduce a new series of episodes called Bite Size Biographies. These mini-episodes take you through the entire life of one historical woman in just three short acts. Bite-sized bios are perfect for bedtime, car rides, or anytime you're waiting for the next full-length episode to arrive. We also want to give a shout-out to our fabulous sponsors. Your generous donations go directly towards the musical theater artists you hear on our program. If you have an interest in becoming a sustaining member, head to our site at patreon.com slash whatwillshedonext. For as little as $5 a month, you have the power to keep the show running. That's patreon.com slash whatwillshedonext. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to a bite-sized episode of What Will She Do Next? I'm your host, Gabrielle Mirabella, and together with composer Ernie Bird, Faster, we've created a podcast that celebrates some of our favorite historical women. Hurry up! On today's episode, we take a brief look at Victoria Woodhull, America's first woman stockbroker, the first woman to address Congress, and the first woman to run for President of the United States of America. Ah! This episode was written and narrated by myself with music and production by Ernie Bird. Time's up. <gasps> Enjoy. Victoria Woodhull was born in the rural town of Homer, Ohio on September 23, 1838. One of many siblings, Victoria stood out as a bright and gifted child. Despite her family's extreme poverty and only three years of elementary education, Victoria knew she was meant to do something great. For deep inside her, Victoria wrote, lived an encouraging inner voice, one that would guide her throughout the rest of her life. As special as Victoria was, growing up in Ohio was difficult. Her father, Buck Claflin, was unable to support the family, and her mother, Roxana, was often quite ill. But, with the help of little sister Tennessee, also known as Tenny, the two sisters began earning money for the family by becoming clairvoyants, individuals who communicate with the spirit world. Many of Victoria's customers were young women, just like her, oftentimes stuck in painful and sometimes dangerous marriages, Marriage in the 19th century was quite different than it is now. A married woman had no rights at all, not to her money, her property, or even her children. And divorce, the ability to end a marriage, was near impossible. And at the age of 15, Victoria herself was married to Canning Woodhull, a self-described lawyer who had moved west searching for gold. But just like the women who came seeking her advice, Victoria soon found herself deeply unhappy, after it was revealed that Canning was not a lawyer and had no means to support the young couple. In 1854, Victoria decided to take charge of her family's future, and at 16 years old, she moved herself, Canning, and baby son Byron to California, seeking work. 
Victoria tried various positions, such as domestic work and teaching, and at one point even taking the stage as an actor. But again, the voice which had guided her since childhood returned. Go home, they said. Go home to your sister. Victoria rushed the family back to Ohio, where she was reunited with Tenny. On April 12, 1861, when Victoria was 22 years old, the U.S. was in great discord. Civil war had begun between the northern and southern states, and a painful divide was spreading throughout the country. During this time, Victoria and Tenny's clairvoyant skills were in great demand, as families were torn apart. Then, four years later, on April 9, 1865, Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered his forces to Union General Ulysses S. Grant, ending the war and ending slavery for African-American people in the United States. As the country was rebuilding, so was Victoria. Victoria and Canning both agreed they should end their marriage, and soon after, Victoria met a man named Colonel James Harvey Blood. They were married in 1866 in Dayton, Ohio. The pair were deeply in love, and the colonel marveled at Victoria's independent spirit. And hoping to encourage her further, the colonel introduced Victoria to the American women's rights movement. Starting with the first women's rights gathering in Seneca Falls, New York, the voices of American women were slowly, but steadily, making themselves heard. Leaders such as Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony declared equal rights for women, rights to property, rights to divorce, and most importantly, the right to vote. Inspired, Victoria moved the family, now including young daughter Zula, to New York City. It was here in Manhattan that Victoria and Tenny were first introduced to finance. With their ability to listen, communicate, and learn quickly, the two women soon created a stock brokerage firm, a place where people go to grow their money in the stock market. Visitors pressed their faces against the glass doors of Woodhull, Claflin & Co., hoping to catch a glimpse of the sisters at work. Public interest was high, and their business was booming. But even with her great financial success, Victoria wanted to do more. The women who sought help during her clairvoyant days continued to call out for her. They called for her to make change, to make life easier and safer for women. And in order to do that, Victoria had to do something huge, something unheard of, something that was bound to gain attention. So, in 1870, at the age of 32 years old, Victoria Woodhull declared herself as a candidate for the presidency of the United States of America. Victoria may have been too young, she may have had no political experience, and she may not even have had the right to vote. But nonetheless, she began her presidential campaign, proclaiming, while others of my sex devoted themselves to a crusade against the laws that shackle the women of this country, I asserted my independence. While others prayed for the good time coming, I worked for it. While others argued the equality of woman with man, I proved it by successfully engaging business. I therefore claimed the right to speak for the women of this country, 
and believe, as I do, that the prejudices which still exist against women in public life will soon disappear. I now announce myself as candidate for the presidency. Finding a newspaper to publish Victoria's words seemed nearly impossible. So again, Victoria forged her own path, and together with Tenny, they started their very own newspaper, called Woodhull and Claflin's Weekly, a place where the sisters and like-minded writers could freely share their ideas. And on January 11, 1872, Victoria took those ideas to Washington, D.C., where she became the first woman to speak in front of Congress, demanding the right to vote. Although Victoria was a strong writer, speaking in public did not come naturally. But, speech by speech, she became stronger and more confident, allowing her inner spirit and the conviction of her ideas to replace any fear. And in New York City, at Steinway Hall, she gave her largest speech yet, with over 3,000 people gathered to hear Victoria speak. She called for equal rights for all humans, no matter what class, education, ethnicity, or gender. The crowd cried out for their Madam President and nominated the great abolitionist and writer Frederick Douglass as her running mate. But even as her fan base grew, so did her opposition. Women of her time rarely spoke in public, let alone shared such strong and personal convictions. Her critics, those of the wealthy, privileged class, fought back the only way they knew how, with money. And in New York City, 1872, on the night of the presidential election, that money was used to put Victoria Woodhull in jail. Sitting in prison on the night of the election, Victoria knew her chances of becoming president were now over. But there... Within the cold silence of her cell, she could hear the familiar sound of her inner voice. No, she may not have accomplished what she set out for, but through her efforts, she had done something others had never even dreamed of. Because of her, a woman could now run for president, and maybe one day in the future, she could win. Victoria's first visit to jail was just one of many— over the next few years, her critics would find any excuse to put her and her family behind bars. But Victoria was not defeated. She continued giving public speeches, and in one instance, even disguised herself as an elderly woman, wearing a shawl in order to trick the police. She was a force to be reckoned with, but she was also human. And after years of defending herself, in 1877, at the age of 37, Victoria, Tenney, Byron, and Zula left for England. In England, Victoria met a banker named John Martin. A few years earlier, Victoria and Colonel Blood had decided to divorce, so now Victoria and John were free to marry. With the help of her now-adult daughter, Zula, the two women started a new publication called The Humanitarian sharing her call for equal rights with a now-British audience. In 1901, John Martin passed away, and Victoria was heartbroken. So, to keep her mother occupied, Zula helped her open a country school for young women, a quiet place for girls to learn and grow, away from the constraints of society. And on June 9, 1903, 
1927, at the age of 89 years old, Victoria Woodhull peacefully passed away at home, surrounded by her children. Victoria Woodhull was led by an unwavering inner voice. A child of poverty and little education, she used this voice to speak for the rights of others. Where some reformers were distracted by division, Victoria kept her eye on the goal, equality for all American citizens, not just some. And even though she did not win the presidency, and even though the United States has yet to see a woman president, the work she did for her country will never be forgotten. Like Victoria Woodhull, the future we see is for us to create. So, I wonder, what will you do next? <laughs> 